the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What Gideon is about to do is attack his father's idols. But in that he's about to attack his father's idols, that does not mean that Gideon is attacking his father. It's important for you to know that God will never give you a commandment that actually violates other central organizing principles. He's not going to tell you to speak the truth to your parents in a way that dishonors them. Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. This is Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastand. Hi there. Welcome to our time together today. We are back in the book of Judges, chapter 6, verses 24 through 32. Today, we're focusing in on this passage where Gideon is going after his father's idols, as Pastor Jesse just mentioned. And it is through God alone who gives us the power to confront family idols, false gods of carnal success, and the restoration of God-centered worship. It's all straight ahead. Here's Pastor Jesse and today's broadcast of Way of Grace. The whole idea of family is to help you understand these different categories of important representations of God's will in our life. When you get married and you have children and you go through the process of raising them up, you're supposed to learn what the battle of life is all about and be engaged in it. So Gideon, he's a married man. But he's also a son and he's grown up in a family and now he's raising kids. And as I've told you before, when you get married, you're growing up all over again. You're learning things about yourself through those little mirrors that you don't like. But that's how God changes you. Right. Because you missed it the first time around because you are slow. Second time around, we get to learn it better, learn it right. If you have grandchildren, you're happy, right? Because by the time we get to grandchildren, we have discovered that we have learned some things. And so here Gideon is about to do something that is reflective of a fundamental when it comes to walking in faith. The text tells us, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Is Gideon about to pull a stronghold down? It's an extremely important stronghold. And every believer should find themselves doing that from time to time to demonstrate and affirm your allegiance to God. There's just going to be times where it's going to be you chosen to pull it down. And you got to work through all of the implications of you being chosen for that because you're going to end up having to deal with suffering for Christ. It doesn't matter who it is. It might be your mom. It might be your daddy. It might be your uncle. It might be your children. It might be your husband. It might be your wife might be yourself. In our context, we're about to learn again a redemptive paradigm because you guys know the three major covenants in scripture are 
father, son, king, servant, husband, wife. These are three covenant paradigms, and we're about to enter into the first one if your eyes are open. Look at verse 5. The apostle goes on to say, what we do are cast down thoughts, ideas, reasonings, assumptions, ideologies, worldviews. So imaginations are just not merely uh, to be understood as what goes on in your brain, but rather what gets articulated, put into policy, and made to be employed and enforceable in people's lives that don't correspond to the revealed will of God. Am I making some sense? So imaginations are everything that comes out of the heart of men that they want to turn into an idol and make somebody else bow down to it as the truth. That means we got a lot of work to do because there are imaginations everywhere as they were in the days of Noah. And God looked and saw that the imagination of man was only evil continually. And therefore, God did something about it, didn't he? You know what he did? He separated. And then he purged. That's the way God works in every generation. The gospel calls you out, separates you unto God, and then God brings judgment. That's the way God works. Israel was separated unto God in the Exodus, were they not? And then God brought his judgment. And that's the way God works in your life and in mine. And so allegiance demands that we understand our calling to engage in the process of purging and separation. That is the wheat chaff analogy. Uh, Gideon is there now. He's there now. Look at point number two. Could expand more on point number one, but look at point number two. The power to confront what? Family idols. Look at verse 25. Verse 25 says, and it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, take your father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that your father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it. This is here a, a very powerful insight. When God calls you to himself, he doesn't wait long before he gives you assignments. When God calls you to himself, he's not going to let you go on a three-week vacation and then you get to come back and go to work. No, the moment he calls you, he's going to open your eyes to problems. Now, what he does once he opens your eyes to problems is he organizes those problems in your life so that you don't waste your time on problems too big for you. God works in gradations. So he's going to start with his own home because the Bible is clear. If a man does not take care of his own household first, he's worse than an infidel. And a lot of times uh, believers will be willing to go across the world to deal with problems than to deal with problems in their own home, in their own neighborhood in their own churches, in their own communities. Am I making some sense? In their own relationships. This here is a strategic wrong, a strategic evil. And this is why when Jesus sent out the 12, the first thing he did when he came was took those 12 and they went all the way through out Jerusalem. Did they not? And then when he sent the Holy Ghost, what does he say? Start at home, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the rest of the world. The goal is to make sure that there is a veritable and sustained witness of God's glory in the community that you started in. 
The goal is to make sure that there is a truthful and sustained witness in the community that God saved you from. That's why the man that was a demoniac who wanted to run with Jesus the moment God delivered him from all those legions of devils. Jesus said, no, go back home and tell them what great things I have done for you. And see, that assignment is often not hearkened to by the Christian because you know, you, you do know. Once you go home and start talking about Jesus, the battle is on. So under point number one, I get what Gideon did. Uh, He's told in verse 25 and 26, verse six, verse 26, and build an altar unto the Lord your God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place and take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with wood and of the groves, which you shall cut down. Now watch Gideon. I love this. It's so true. This is why. It's so important to understand the nature of grace, how God works. It's so important to understand that when God saves you, he knows what he's saving. It's important for you to know that and and not fail to understand the measures of his patience and kindness in dealing with your weakness, nevertheless still calling you to engage obedience. Does that follow? So Gideon knows he has peace with God. Gideon knows he's committed to God's allegiance. Gideon wants to do what's right, but he's saying to himself, I think I'll do this while everybody's asleep. And you can see it over in verse 20, 20, uh, 27. Then Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was, here it is, because he feared his father's what? men of the city, that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. I love narrative teaching and I love the Bible because what the Bible does not do is it doesn't tell you that once you're saved, you become so strong in the Lord and in the power of his might that you don't fear any man. The Bible never does that. When you're saved, you are a baby in your faith. You are a baby in spirit. You are not strong in the Lord. Am I making some sense? You believe God? Yeah, you do. But you have to be made strong. That's a process. In the meanwhile, you sneaking up on Jesus like Nicodemus did. Now, we know God was drawing Nicodemus. No man can come unto me except my father which sent me draw him. But he was coming at night because Nicodemus feared those same dagger cloak wearing individuals that he called his compadres, the Pharisees. They had knives under their garments. And Gideon is giving us an insight, actually, into the nature of his daddy's household. He says he fears his daddy's household. He fears his daddy's household. Now, what's interesting about our assignment, I want to make sure that I parse this. What Gideon is about to do is attack his father's idols. But in that he's about to attack his father's idols, that does not mean that Gideon is attacking his father. It's important for you to know that God will never give you a commandment that actually violates other central organizing principles. He's not going to tell you to speak the truth to your parents in a way that dishonors them. So it's important for you to know that what Gideon's about to do here is going to be both in obedience to God and honor to his father. After all, if you as a child obey God, even though your obedience is going to rub up against the traditions and the character and the opinions and views of your parents, you're still, you're still honoring your parent. Am I making some sense? 
You are honoring your parents when you live right before them, even though they're not living right before you. Right. You are not honoring your parents if you become a codependent to their compromising idolatrous practices. Did y'all hear what I just stated? Very important for you to know that. So God is here distinguishing himself as Gideon's father over against Gideon's human father at the level of worship. Because Gideon's human father is expressing a form of worship that is pagan, unbiblical, and worse than that, it's public. Everybody's coming to Gideon's father's house for worship. Gideon's father built an altar to Baal, P-O-R, on the top of a mountain with green trees everywhere, which I told you last time was the way in which these compromising Jews engaged in illicit sexual pornographic idolatrous worship. Did we not learn that? Under every green tree. Now this gives us a little insight into Gideon's daddy. Gideon's daddy was not Gideon. Your children are not going to always be like you. Like they have some of your characteristics, but it's a good thing they have their own autonomy. I mean, we do have to fight against our parents' genetic imprint in our life. We really do. Come on, be honest about it. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And every day I'm fighting against my parents in me, the bad things that are in them. And all of us are, and we must, particularly if you've been redeemed by God's grace and claimed by God's spirit, and you are a child of the living God, the DNA of the Lord Jesus is in you. And he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And therefore the older shall serve the younger. So the new man in Christ must dominate the old man in self, including your parents' bents and weaknesses that you have in you genetically. Am I making some sense? That's just the nature of the gospel. It's the nature of the gospel. So what we see Gideon dealing with here in uh, verses 25 through 27 is quite remarkable. Then Gideon took 10 men of his servants, did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was because he feared his father's house. And the men of the city that he could not do it by day, and therefore he did it by night. Verse 28, and when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down, one, and the grove was cut down that was by it, two, and the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built by it, three. I want to call your attention to two points. We're going to come back here in our third or fourth point. Under point number two, there is a sub-point that I want you to grasp. It's in your outline. The false gods of carnal what? The false guards of carnal success. So this is going to be a principle of application. Obviously, you and I don't have a bunch of Baal Peor idols sitting around the house. But we got a bunch of Baal Peor principles operating in almost every gadget we have in our home. If you understand, but all Peor is all about being wide open to everything, including the perversions that suggest and elicit that you don't need to have boundaries when it comes to relationship. You don't have to make a distinction between male and female. You don't have to understand that the privileges of intimacy are bound by covenant. What we're talking about is a neo-bail by all P or culture in which we live. 
Am I making some sense? We live in the Baal Peor culture of everything and anything goes because there are no boundaries, no parameters, no defining, uh, distinguishing characteristics that separate us on any level. Anyone can do anything at any age, at any time, in anywhere, at any place. Am I making some sense? That is called Baal Peor. That's where we are today. That's where you are. That's where I am. And the sanctity of our mind and our heart has to be constantly guarded against practicing this kind of abominable evil against the true and the living God. Say amen. Because it's true. It's really true. It's important for you and I to know that while we will sit and hear the exposition of Scripture and agree with it, you and I are living in a cesspool of ball peor everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. And, and you and I are in danger of collapsing into it as well. Um, there could be all kinds of situations. I'm not going to bring them up. But what we get insight into in our text is that Gideon's father was a compromiser. That ought to be obvious. Is he not? He's a compromiser. This speaks to his character. Remember what I said when God said to Gideon, when the Lord Jesus, the angel of the Lord said to Gideon, the Lord is with you, Gideon. Thou mighty man of valor. And I said to you to be a man or woman of valor is to be a person who will do the right thing when no one else will. Didn't I tell you that? Well, obviously Gideon's father was not that man, was he? It appears to me that Gideon's father was like one of your political preachers who sticks his hand in his mouth and try to find out which way the winds blow and then just want to meet the felt needs of the people. It appears to me that Gideon's father was a worldly wise man engaged in seeking to acquire material blessings by simply adopting the God of the culture of his time. Does that make sense? Of course it does. So in the Old Testament, the, these little image gods are, again, as we learn in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5, their imaginations, their ideologies, their constructs. Their systems, there are policies. So when a policy comes out and you hear it every day, you see it every day in media. When you and I lean into that policy, we are leaning into an idolatrous system. And we are engaging in affirming that idolatrous system, which because you are a believer, guess what it makes you? A compromiser. You and I are more like Gideon's daddy. Until the Lord does something for us. Am I making some sense? Right, it's important for us to know. And so the false gods of carnal success is always the idea of us having to struggle with loving the world. Remember what John said in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 19. He says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Pastor Jesse didn't say that. I'm just opening up the the mail and handling it to you. You guys got that? So see what the text is teaching us right there is you and I are waging a serious battle against everyday life that is tugging on us to get our consent and its approval. Is that true? Love not the world. Are you kidding? Much of what we do is love for the world. 
And then what the man does, what John does right here, is he actually gives us these sort of cardinal principles that makes up the world system. He's not talking about the cosmos, the physical world, in the sense of it being physical. He's talking about the politics of the world, the policies of this world, the systems of this world. Here's what he says. Look at verse 16. He says, for all that is in the world is the what? Come on, saints. Is that not a problem for us? Please. It's a real problem. And this one here is an idol. This is an idol, right? The lust of the flesh is an idol. That's where Eve got trapped by the tree. And she saw that it was pleasant to the eyes. Okay, so notice, for all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the what? There it is. So see, now watch this, because I I want you to capture this. Right, whatever is the thing that grants you a sense of well-being, a sense of purpose, a sense of identity, is called pride. That thing that, that holds you up, that bolsters you up, that gives you a sense of importance, that's called pride. Ain't no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. And so the secular person prides himself in the approval of the world because he's walking in the collective consciousness of some system. Does that make some sense? Right. For the believer, this ought not to be so. Again, I'm circling back to what it means to be a man or woman of what? Valor. Right. A man or woman of valor prides themselves only in the approval of God. This is what set Jesus Christ in total antithesis to the Jewish people. And of course, Gideon is a model of that because Gideon is pointing to our master, the Lord Jesus. This is what separation is all about. The Lord Jesus lived in the world, and that world that he lived in did not know him. It did not like him, did it? And that's because he operated out of the higher principle of commitment to his father's will. And it put him at odds at all times with his own community. Even so much so, we have an illusion of that with Gideon being afraid of his father's household. Is that not true? So you have, he was in the world, but the world knew him not. The world was made by him, but the world did not receive him. So this is the nature of the believer in our world. When we are committed to overcoming these intrinsic and endemic uh, propensities of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the pride of life. And here's a really good reason. This last little uh, clause here is a really good reason for us to be sincerely engaged in making sure we know how to separate ourselves from this world system. If, in fact, we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. Do you see what that says? So these are two mutually exclusive principles. Is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, I want to show you two more verses that are going to emerge up out of this that's going to help us understand where we are in our message today, as well as our study in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where we're dealing with the Antichrist system and the men of sin and its emergence. So notice that the world has a kind of triad of the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life as its moniker. Everywhere in the world we see it, do we not? Everywhere in the world we see it. And here is the thing that you need to know about what you see when you see it in all of its full glory. What you don't see is God. What you don't see is the glory of God. What you don't see is the honor of God. What you don't hear is the word of God. 
What you don't see is the glory of Christ. See, the enemy is constantly seeking to cause you to see something so that you don't see something else. It's called distraction. Didn't I teach you that? The five D's of the devil? Distraction, distortion, delusion, deception, and then ultimately destruction. Right. You and I are always dealing with two optics, either the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ of, or the satanic system, which comes with its own uh, wretched glory, drawing men and women to itself. You guys know that. Revelation chapter 13, 8. And the whole world wandered after the beast. Now, that's a heart wandering. It's a soul wandering. It's a longing in your inner man to want to have your own desires fulfilled in such a way that they are affirmed by the world system. And on that note, we will close out today's broadcast of Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stand, the ministry of Grace Bible Church right here in Hayward. If you have questions about our broadcast, maybe you would like to spend some time with us worshiping the Lord. We would love to see you. You can get all of that information and reach out to us through our website at grace-bible.com. That's grace-bible.com. Listen to past sermons as well as guest preachers. Again, at our website, grace-bible.com. We'll even let you have any of the notes, sermon notes that are available from these sermons as well. Again, there's an awful lot of resource material available at our website, grace-bible.com. If you'd like to reach out to us by phone, our number is 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. Sunday services here at the church are at 1030. Friday evening Bible study is at 6.30, Tuesday prayer and Bible study again at 6.30, directions and information again at our website grace-bible.com or by calling 510-886-9782. Would you prayerfully consider partnering with this ministry as we reach out to the Bay Area and the world (laughs) on the World Wide Web? We do so because we are linking arms with other listeners such as yourself. This is a listener-supported ministry. Your gifts, no matter the size and no matter the volume, are great help as we continue this ministry called Way of Grace. Consider that as you reach out to us and join us again next time for another broadcast of Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastan. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.